welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a show for SaaS founders and product people. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and in this season we talk about user onboarding with fellow founders and guest experts. Today our awesome guest is Paul Kogan of Less Accounting, and we're going to talk about their challenges with user onboarding. This show is brought to you by UserList, the best tool for sending onboarding emails and segmenting your SaaS users. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at userlist.com worksheets. Hey, Paul. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. We're excited. Before we get started, Paul, one of the reasons we brought you on the show today, because you have a very unique perspective on acquiring a business and then taking all the challenges from scratch, but you also have a pretty fascinating story as a serial entrepreneur. So could you tell us more about both of these? Sure. Sure. Before I get into that, I wanted to just give a little bit of my background, how I even arrived at less accounting. So many years ago, I'm a developer by trade, like many SaaS entrepreneurs. I spent uh, 10 years working at various large banks, um, building systems in the CRM revenue accounting space. And while working at my day job, I uh, got a little bored and caught an entrepreneurial bug and wanted to build something (laughs) on my own. Uh, So I had an acquaintance of mine who was uh, an optometrist and he owned uh, an eyeglasses store. Uh, And basically his entire business model was people would come to the store, um, get their eyeglasses, get the correctional lenses. And then um, that model still exists today. But we decided back in 2004, 2005 to build an online storefront. So this was before the Shopify and the shopping carts were even in the picture. So I was very excited to build this e-commerce store from scratch. I sat down and did it in three to four weeks, built this very ugly storefront, but it worked and we were making sales from day one. And it's amazing that today you can actually go in and build a Shopify store in just like 20 minutes. So we ran that business for about seven years. I was uh, in the role of a technical founder and honestly got bored and fed up of dealing with uh, with consumers. So I decided to move on to my next venture, which was a company called Shipmax. Uh, the idea came from uh, some of my smaller competitors who asked me to help them with reducing shipping costs for their products. So over the years, we shipped lots and lots of packages, and we were able to negotiate very good shipping rates with large shippers like UPS, FedEx, DHL, based on the volumes that we did. So I would basically print the labels for my smaller competitors, mark them up, and um, email the labels and collect payments through PayPal. So that's when uh, I had my light bulb moment, and I decided to build a platform that would basically facilitate the printing of the label, adding the markup, and sending the label to my customers. So unfortunately, this was one of my failures and a great learning experience. Didn't work out for a couple of reasons. One, I was still doing consulting work for a bank and building a company from scratch and nights and weekends was just not smart. And, you know, about six months into spending nights and weekends and spending $20,000 on development costs, I learned that doing what I was planning to do was against the rules of the big shippers. I actually tried hustling with the sales rep at FedEx and, and built relationships, took them to dinner. But the story was that I couldn't 
probably do it quietly. I, I would <laughs> not be able to build it into a business that I can grow and sell. So after that disappointing experience, I stumbled upon a, a marketplace flipper. Uh, so that's, uh, I was fascinated that someone can just go and buy an online company. Uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I looked into a couple of businesses that, that were for sale and decided to start small and buy a content site, which was basically monetized through AdSense and Amazon. I didn't have a, a big dreams of running content sites, but you know, I thought it would be a good uh, thing for me to learn the game of uh, SEO. So between 2012-2015, I was able to buy and grow and sell three content sites. It was actually a success story after my disappointing experience with my previous company. So I was able to triple uh, those, those companies over the three years. So when I sold my last company in 2014, I started looking for another new venture and, and the developer in me just wanted to, to have a software business. So SaaS was still new at that time. And there were multiple, the, the multiples were very low. So there was a time tracking software that worked with QuickBooks called Get My Time that I was able to buy for just 1.7 X of the net income, which is unheard of uh, today. So that was early 2015. I ran that company for about three years. It was a great business, grown organically with just one acquisition channel, which was the QuickBooks App Store. Uh, they were very warm leads, converted 50% from trial to paid. So that was great. After running that business for three years, I had decided it was time to move on to something else. And I sold the company at the end of 2018. So at that time, I had a little bit of money, didn't really have to work, but I was so bored out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I was started looking at, at uh, another business and that's when less accounting came to mind. I've always loved what the original owners did when they started the company in 2011. Their idea was to go after QuickBooks, which was very ugly and, and a version of an accounting software that everybody hated. And they that's what specifically that they use in a tagline of their homepage is we are the software for entrepreneurs that hate QuickBooks, which worked very well. And mm -hmm. they, they ran the company for about five years. So in 2016, they decided to sell that company. I learned about it from one of the brokers that emailed me. So I thought it would be a great project for me to take on. So the company was growing and I, I tried to bid on it. Unfortunately, my offer was not accepted. And the owner sold the company to a larger accounting firm. So I kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. But when I sold my time tracking software at the end of 2018, I thought, let me take another look at less accounting. Because I really love the space. Uh, accounting in general is a very sticky space. Once someone uses a, stop, a software, it's rare that they, they will move on to something else. And that's why Intuit and QuickBooks are, are so successful. Yeah, so I look at their homepage and I, I saw that they pretty much did nothing with it. I thought, let me reach out to the owners, the current owners or the previous owners, actually. I uh, see if they'd be interested in selling. As it turned out, yes, they were willing to sell. After a few email exchanges, I found out that they lost about one third of their client base and because they pretty much neglected the business for three years. So after doing some due diligence, I realized that there's, there, there are a lot of unresolved bugs, unanswered tickets, the, the customer support wasn't doing their job. And there was just a bunch of issues that I spent literally like uh, 12 months fixing after the acquisition. So yeah, that's pretty much the story of how I acquired uh, Less Accounting and how we ended up here and where I am today. 
Well, that's such a fascinating story. I think that's exactly what they call a serial entrepreneur. And I'm honored to be talking to one today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. There were some more failures on the way for sure. You briefly mentioned uh, the nature of your business, but to restate your elevator pitch, what does uh, your product do and who is the target audience? So Less Accounting is, a, is a, an accounting software platform that basically simplifies the entire business of accounting for freelancers and solopreneurs. So our target customer is a either a freelancer or a mom and pop shop in various industries. So we have customers uh, that are in the pest control to web design, uh, web development firms, basically someone with uh, one to nine employees or contractors uh, that are interested in basically simplifying their entire accounting process. So we generally have three major business lines. One is uh, ability to get paid quicker by allowing our customers to create estimates and invoices. Um, questions like how much do my clients owe me? Who's paying their invoices on time? And who needs a reminder? And if there's a customer that will pay late, will I have enough money in my account to cover the next month's expenses? So that's one. Ability to see the financial health of your business at any time just by looking at a couple of simple reports. So at any time, a customer can log in, look at their P&L, look at their net income statement to see where they are in terms of finances. Right? So also things like how much did I spend on marketing or software this month versus previous months? Or do I have enough money to cover the unexpected expenses next month? Also during the tax filing seasons, with just a few clicks, our customers can generate reports that are required for the tax filing and they can just either email to their accountant or they can have their accountant log in to less accounting and pull up those reports. And lastly, our service side of the business is basically for those accountants that don't care about doing it themselves. They don't really want to look at, at their, uh, they don't want to do anything in terms of transactions, categorizations, or anything like that. So we provide a done-for-you bookkeeping service. So in this case, we have a team of bookkeepers that basically take the entire thing off the customer's hands. So our booking, bookkeeping clients usually just invite their accountant to less accounting, and we work directly with their accountant to provide all the, the information that they need. Are you serving the same exact products to all these groups of users or is it like really different inside for them? So there are some customers that just do invoicing and proposals. So we have some contractors that will use less accounting to send a proposal to their customer and then they'll convert that proposal to an invoice. And they may not use uh, the accounting features of less accounting or they may just do, or they, they may be there. In some cases, it, it's their family member that does the bookkeeping and they prefer to do it in Excel, although we try to explain that this is not the right way to do it, but some are very old school and they still prefer to do it with pen and paper or Excel, which is the advanced version of that. And then there are customers that do accounting only. So if they don't have the need for invoicing or proposals, they'll go and, and they'll reconcile their bank statements against their less accounting account. They'll go and, and do transaction categorization to make sure that they they have a, a full picture of what their uh, business financial health looks like at any time. So you do customize the experience for them inside based on their goal. And is it about the onboarding experience or the entire experience of the, the look of the product, so to speak? 
Right. So in case of a done-for-you bookkeeping clients, it's usually very high-touch sales process. So our bookkeeping prospects usually schedule a call with us. So it's one or two calls, and we basically do the entire onboarding for them. So we'll walk them through the different uh, phases uh, of the software. We'll create their accounts. We'll link them up. We use uh, Basecamp as our internal project for managing that. So we'll set everything up. Our team will do that for them. In case of kind of like software only clients, do it for, you, for like do it yourself. It's a usually it's usually very like low touch process. They'll just go in, create create their account, usually without any interaction from our side. We do have some um, messages that help them through the process as they as they kind of take the steps, but other than that, they rarely contact us for questions. You mentioned that accounting is a very sticky industry, and this is amazing for a software product. But what we've discovered at UserList, that comes with a downside of more difficult adoption because there are some barriers to, to entry, some uh, roadblocks to be uh, overcome. So what are these roadblocks for your users typically? So when users um, do sign up, one of the roadblocks that we've been struggling with is the is to provide the users with ability to see the value of the product right away. Right, so they would uh, they would sign in, and as an accounting customer, someone that wants to use an accounting software, we would ask them to connect their bank accounts or, or their credit card accounts because without that, they, we can't really provide them the accurate data. Right, so they they need to go through this whole process. But someone signing up for a new software, the people feel reluctant of, of giving up their bank information. So it's our it's our mission to make sure that it's easy for them and that we make them comfortable right away as soon as they land on on our first page. In our pre-recording chat, you mentioned that you have evolved your user onboarding since uh, since the app's acquisition from virtually no onboarding to locking the user hard into some presets towards some more flexible options. So tell us more about that evolution. Sure. So when we first say we is high, when we first acquired the less accounting, there was no <laughs> onboarding as such, right? A customer would sign up, they would ask for credit card up front, lend it on the on the dashboard page with just a bunch of text and buttons. And it was very confusing on what the next step that the customer should take. Uh, so what we've done with the new redesign is we try to show only one action that a customer needs to take to proceed to the next step. So, for example, if it's a customer that wants to do estimates or invoices, we would take them directly to the new invoice creation page where they just don't have to think about twice about what they need to do next. Same thing with customers that want to simplify their accounting. Uh, we just send them to the page that's asking them to connect connect to their banking institution. It's still evolving, actually. We're continuously working on improving that. But the ultimate goal is to remove all the friction points, remove all the distractions, and and just show them one action on one page and nothing else. How do you track your users' progress inside less accounting? Do you use any analytics? What are your success metrics? How do you overall understand where your account their account is in this activation journey 
Sure, sure. So we use Google Analytics to for, for tracking goals. So every stage of the customer journey is a goal in Google Analytics. We also use Intercom to say uh, to send automated sequence, um, uh, automated emails. So we have about 15 emails uh, right now uh, that uh, kind of walk the customer through the onboarding. And we are able to see the open rates and, and reply rates just the, in, the, in the dashboard. But ultimately, it's the visit of the trial and trial to paid conversion is what we looked at. What are the numbers if you're willing to share those? Because you mentioned that they're not as cheerful as uh, you'd like them to be. Sure. So we have about seven to 10 daily signups. And so these are for free trials. And we convert at about 1% of that from trial to paid customer. So what we're, our goal is to increase that. I mentioned in our pre-chat is that we have a very ambitious goal, but uh, I believe by improving uh, the onboarding and, and removing these all the obstacles, uh, we will be able to achieve a decent sign-up, a decent conversion rate. I have a couple of questions about your previous history and also about the previous history of less accounting. So sure. one is... How was it the case that they didn't have good user onboarding, but they had like over 10, I don't know, 10 years of uh, SaaS and a lot of paying customers? How did those paying yeah. customers make their way into the app? <laughs> That's an excellent question, Jane. So back when they first, in 2011, there was no QuickBooks Online and there wasn't much competition in this space. So when the original owners, they wanted to take take on this uh, QuickBooks with their line for people that hate QuickBooks. So I guess they didn't need to have a product that's that's just amazing. They just needed to have something that's better than QuickBooks. <laughs> so, <laughs> and back then, all, the, all, all that the customers had was a desktop software, right? So here, these guys coming up with this cloud-based version that can be accessed from anywhere and yeah there were a couple of things that uh, were not great but the user experience i guess the standards were much lower back then now over the past three years even even since i uh, even since 2016 when it was originally sold there were so many competitors that 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 went to market with even QuickBooks Online uh, created the online uh, cloud-based software that's much better and then QuickBooks, so they, there was there was this race to increase the standards of the onboarding and customer experience in general. And so it's becoming much much harder now to to onboard users uh, with just a mediocre onboarding experience. Compared to your previous software products, uh, what were the biggest discoveries about running specifically accounting financial software? You saying my previous experience with uh, with the time tracking software versus the less yeah. yeah. So my previous business wasn't. It was uh, kind of an add on to QuickBooks. So it was the product was not as complex as less accounting. Less accounting is a is a full blown accounting software. The time tracking software was just it was just doing one thing and it did really well and customers loved it. So it it was. It was tracking time uh, for uh, freelancers or or anyone pretty much that bills hourly. It would uh, we had customers who are attorneys, uh, um, web design agencies, uh, web developers. So it basically did just time tracking. Here we have 
a lot more functionality and less accounting does a lot more and, and it actually takes a lot more to run less accounting. We have uh, we have two developers and, and a team of uh, bookkeepers and a customer service rep. So that and and in my previous business it was just me. So there <laughs> there are a lot of yeah the, this is a a much more complex process and it's uh, it, it's much uh, more challenging at times to run less accounting compared to my other businesses. It's not uncommon for uh, financial software to offer concierge setup and everything uh, when you have to deal with a human, not self-serve. And you do have a whole branch that does does that. Have you considered uh, using customer success representatives for some hands-on help during the onboarding? Or do you want to focus on entirely self-serve? So we we have so one of our bookkeepers, Rachel. She's amazing, and she is our customer success manager. Uh, she actually she's the one that basically is basically responsible for the entire customer journey. So not only that she can provide advice on on bookkeeping and accounting, she's also great at handling any customer requests. So if if there is a, a question about how the software works, she's always there and available to help. We have uh, we are available pretty much most of the, I would say, 20 hours out of the day because of uh, how our team is structured. And we're able to answer uh, questions during the onboarding process and, and as well as the existing customers pretty much most of the most of the day. It, to answer, I don't, did I answer your question? I don't think I did. Your question is, would I like it? <laughs> <laughs> would I like to get more customers that are self-serve? Yeah, that, that'd be great. I think that adds a lot of value uh, to the SaaS product itself when you have customers that are on the, on the self-serve plan uh, as opposed to uh, the, the productized service side of the business. Um, but both both have their minus and pluses, right? So you have the service side of the business where you have a team of bookkeepers that, that basically talk to the customers uh, and can provide the best customer service. And obviously, we are able to charge a higher price for that. And then there's the self-service side of the business where the, the price point is much lower, but then there's less uh, interaction with customers. So we would like to get both of this, both sides of the business working and, and growing. But just to answer your question, I would prefer to have the self-serve software-only plan growing. As one of the examples, I know Tim Valashev of Java Chat that I once talked to, uh, they have a dedicated sales team, but they don't do cold sales. They're focused on entirely converting the free user base to paid. And I guess in your case, could be an interesting approach to try since you don't have any shortage of incoming leads, but there is clearly a conversion uh, thing going on. Yeah, so we we do that. We try to be stay on top of the customers that uh, that that sign up, and we try to not only reach out to them uh, via intercom emails, but we also. We also see the progress and what they're doing in the software. Uh, so we kind of try to reach out to them proactively to say if they, let's say they they 
in the middle of creating an invoice and they haven't finished it, we'll just shoot them an email to say, you have this draft. Do you mean to send it or what is going on there? Are you, do you, are you having any difficulties with that? Uh, so we try to monitor what the new users are doing. And uh, for now, it's all manual mm-hmm. process. Eventually, mm-hmm. it, would, it would be nice to automate, but we do monitor and reach out to people actively. Just curious, you have a few use cases that you described for your product and you have uh, goals tracking set up in Google Analytics, for example. Do you have multiple kinds of funnels for those users? Because the steps to success would be dramatically different for their use cases. Right. So we do have, we tag customers that uh, basically when they, when they first onboard, we ask them, what is it that you want to achieve today? Right. So if they, mm-hmm. they once mm-hmm. they sign up, we say, do you want to do invoicing? Do you want to create a proposal or do you just want to do basic accounting? Um, or would you like to would you like to have, uh, you know, a bookkeeper call you and uh, are you interested in they've done for you bookkeeping plan? So based on that, based on those tags, we have different sequences and in, in intercom. So when it's invoicing, we have a set of emails that are specific to invoicing and proposals where basically educate the customers on what they need to do in order to complete the invoice what do they need to do to get paid quicker what are some of the some of the things they should should expect if uh, for example uh, an invoice is sent and the customer doesn't respond in case of accounting we also have a, an email sequence uh, specific to that uh, where we um, we educate them on how to categorize the transaction properly, what to do if, uh, let's say, if there's a, a problem with a specific bank. We educate them on how to um, set up some rules around transaction categorization. Because in, in case of accounting, once you set everything up, it's basically hands-off. Even for, uh, for the self-serve customers, we have uh, rule-based categorization. So that, say, if you have a... Uh, if you have a charge from user list, uh, we will categorize that. So there's a rule that you can create that will categorize that as software. So the next time a charge comes in from user list, we don't have to look at it or categorize it manually. All of that will be placed in the proper bucket automatically. Given your experience as a founder, what's the ideal user onboarding as you see it as a general kind of advice for our listeners? So I think the biggest discovery is that uh, don't let the customer guess what they need to do or have them read a manual. Just walk them through the process one step at a time. Remove all the points of friction. Uh, if, so- if something is not helping them to complete that one task that you want them to complete, just remove it. Right? I think that Apple and iOS developers in general actually nailed it. Right? Um, don't let me read or think or read the instructions. Show me the value of your app in the next two minutes, or I will leave. Basically, <laughs> so you know, always have that mindset when designing a new customer experience. Given your experience now with uh, with a couple of years with less accounting, would you? go back and change something in what you did with the product and with the onboarding? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't, know how, I, don't, know, <laughs> I don't know how much I would change with product onboarding, but I would definitely focus on on educating customers. So content, content, content. I would, I would focus mm-hmm. on providing valuable content from day one. Not just like some top five or top 10 articles that you see all over the internet, but I would just act, I would focus on educating a customer on how to solve a specific problem, right? Let's not forget that we're selling to B2B 
Uh, these are business, business customers, and most are very smart and educated. If you're selling, let's say, in the CRM space, don't tell them what CRM system is and or how many employees work at Salesforce. They probably know that already. Uh, if you just you're just wasting their time by creating this huge article, with some information, useless information. So help them help them solve a specific problem that has to do with sales, and they will love you and love your product. So just focus on that one. Figure out what that problem is, and and focus on on educating the customer on how to solve it. Between the blog and those useful articles and uh, the help docs, where does your effort go more? (laughs) We focus a lot on on the blogs. So as you can imagine, since it was first created in 2011, there was a lot of content that that the original owners placed, not necessarily having the uh, search engine optimization in mind. They just wanted to educate a customer. So there are a lot of blogs that kind of unrelated to to the accounting space, and they're not really high purchase intent articles. So we what we've been focusing on uh, is is providing these middle to bottom of the funnel um, articles. So spending a lot of time on on blogging, but we're also uh, improving our help articles. And with Intercom, there is a a way to have those rank as well. And uh, so we've been putting a lot of videos there, putting a lot of screenshots, and just I guess I would say percentage wise, I would we spend about eighty percent of our time on the blog posts and 20% on the on the help articles. As we're wrapping up today's episode, could you give us two ultimate tips for our listeners? One do and one don't. And you already gave one kind of do, but maybe you have more. <laughs> so I guess the, the do, do talk to your customers and most importantly, listen to what they have to say and, and try to find patterns. Onboarding new customers is great. But uh, taking care of the existing customers is important, and they see what is it, what is it that they need. It's much easier to upsell to the existing customer than finding a new one, right? Also, it's easier to keep a customer by making them happy, and that will reduce the churn. Um, it's much easier than finding and selling your product to new customers. And in terms of don'ts, do not build features unless there's a good reasons the reason mm-hmm. for building features. <laughs> It's not a new advice. I didn't come up with it, but it's so valuable and so important. Focus on that one thing that your product does well and just maximize the heck out of it before moving on to building new features. And I know as developers, we I love I love the product side of the business. I love building and designing screens and all of that stuff. But you know, we have to look at the ROI. Uh, what is the payback on the 200 hours that you spend on development or $5,000 that you spend on, on, on the feature? Is it three months, 12 months, never? You know, these are the things that should be considered. I'm curious, you pulled off a massive redesign of the entire product internals. Does this classify as new features or is it uh, is it more of the make existing customers happy? So we did a customer survey uh, <laughs> and uh, a lot of people said that they just, your your interface look looks outdated. It looks like it was created in, in, in the nineties. Well, it was created in twenty eleven and it was pretty old. It hasn't changed. It hadn't changed in, since then since uh, we did the uh, facelift. So this was based on the feedback that we received from the customers and actually all of them, except for two, said that they loved the new interface. So I was pretty happy about that. And I think it was money well spent. In terms of, uh, in terms of conversion, it did improve a little bit. 
like I mentioned in our in our chat before the before the podcast, it, it's not great right now, but uh, we are getting there. And I think that that made a difference. Awesome! Thanks so much for sharing your story. Where can people find you and uh, Less Accounting online? Sure, I'm. I'm happy to chat with anyone. I know your audience is SaaS founders, and I love to talk about this stuff. So you can uh, either email me Paul at lessaccounting.com, or I'm on Twitter at lessaccounting. Um, yeah, so those are the two main places. Awesome! Thanks so much, and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Jane. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter, mentioning UserList, or leave us a review on iTunes.